What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Nurse Ree, and you're tuning in to Forensic Nurse Files. This is an informative but fun true crime podcast that follows the careers of three forensic nurse examiners. We just want to note that this podcast uses foul language, some sarcasm, and contains descriptions of adult themes and violence that some people may find disturbing. So if you need support, please check the show notes or visit our website. Hello, everybody. This is Ellie and Bree. From hey, y'all. Hey, from Forensic Nurse Files. Um, unfortunately, Joy is not going to be with us tonight. She's taking just a little hiatus. She's got some a lot on her plate right now, so she'll be back with us soon. You know, but um, definitely shout out to Joy, who's not with us. We love you. We love you. We miss you. Not the same without you. No, it's not. She'll well, be back, though. She'll be back. And hopefully you're all like surviving the heat in the summer. I know I feel like I'm actually melting, but um, that's besides the point. Some of that has to do with my age. And I'm sure some of you listeners out there are probably laughing and can identify. <laughs> so <laughs> that being said, um, tonight we're going to talk about um, sex trafficking. And, you know, just it's important to bring up the fact that there's two, there's, there's not just sex trafficking. There's human trafficking and sex trafficking is a form of human trafficking. And because of um, what we do, we deal with the victims of sex trafficking, you know, mostly or if not exclusively. And that's why we're really going to focus on, you know, what we know um, Mm -hmm. tonight. Exactly. Um, So like Nurse Ellie said, there are multiple types of trafficking. There's labor trafficking. There's domestic servitude. There's way more. Um, But like she said, for our purposes, it's just sex trafficking. So sex trafficking is the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, obtaining, patronizing, or soliciting of a person for the purpose of a commercial sex act. So it involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion to make an adult engage in commercial sex acts. Um, Any commercial sexual activity with a minor, even without force, fraud, or coercion, is still considered trafficking. Yeah, um, you know, and, and so it's. I'm glad that you um, you spoke to minors because mm-hmm. the majority of trafficked victims that we see are minors. Yep. Tactics that are used by recruiters, traffickers, and their associates are often the same tactics used by batterers. You know, we talked about domestic violence and can mirror dynamics of domestic violence. Some examples are you know, that are similar to domestic violence are they uh, may lure their victims with false promises of economic opportunity, meaning that they would make money, et cetera, um, withhold identification, work authorization, or travel documents for those who have maybe come to this country from another. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you something about that. Somebody I knew personally in just a moment, demanding repayment for a real or alleged debt. So maybe they help them get to the United States if we're talking about that person that's coming from another country and they hold them responsible for paying them back for the favor that they gave them. Or they could live in, in our country and maybe they've helped them out, you know, financially getting a car or a living space. Uh, They may use threats of violence or actual violence monitor and surveillance activities. That's another one I'm going to speak to in just a second and paying very little or not paying at all for work. I'm going to break this down a little bit. So false promises of economic opportunity. I actually know somebody who happens to be a registered nurse as well that came to the United States from another country under the pretense that she would be given employment. However, she and multiple others were trafficked and they were trafficked and held against their will working for little or no pay, which goes to my last point that I had spoke about just a minute ago. And they were unable to escape. So messed up. It's so messed up. But guess what? She escaped. She escaped. Uh, She she went to law enforcement. Um, Everybody that was there was rescued. And, you know, of course she was put in a, uh, witness protection program because it's very dangerous. These are felons. We're not Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, uh, your traffic violator here. We're talking serious felonies. This is 
trafficking, kidnapping, et cetera. They're mm-hmm. all, you know, along the same lines. Right. Exactly. Oh my God. That's terrifying. I'm glad she escaped. It is an amazing story, which, you know, I don't have permission to really go into and nobody knows who it is. Mm-hmm. However, it's uh, pretty heroic and pretty devastating at the same time. So I also know somebody that was a victim of sex trafficking. And interestingly enough, she is also a nurse. Um, she had been dating around, met a guy on Tinder. She had some aces, um, and he, which are adverse childhood experiences, as we talked about before. Um, and he had somehow coerced her into meeting up with different individuals in motel rooms and uh, having sex with them. And she would have to keep her phone on so that he could hear what was going on. She would have to keep her location on on her phone so that he knew where she was at at all times. And she would have sex with these individuals. And um, the guy that she was dating would keep all of the money. I don't even think... I can't remember if she knew or didn't know that he was making money off of it. But she didn't see a dime out of it. Um... He would also take her to these things that were called porn theaters and they were in the back of these adult sex shops like, you know, um, adult toy stores and adult movie stores um, where there would be these like theaters with like movie theater seats. And um, one of the individuals say it be her, a woman, she'd be told what to wear Um She would be told she wasn't allowed to wear underwear. She would have to wear a dress. There was like certain dress codes and she would be blindfolded. And um, other individuals that were visiting this porn theater would um, come up and touch her in certain places. Kind of a wild situation. Maybe we can have an episode where she can come on and tell her story anonymously. Wow, that's crazy. Um, No, it would be great if she would come on. I'm sure the listeners would like to hear it. It's, you know, a lot of the time we call these people like traffic, like they're human traffic, sex sex traffic. It's very similar to what I called back in the day prostitution mm -hmm. and with the pimp. So back in my law enforcement days, I worked undercover in the prostitution enforcement detail. And the pimps, what we called, you know, prostitutes and pimps are basically trafficked and and traffickers, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, it was. It's very similar the dynamics. They, you know, you're forced into this. You start by well, we're going to get into it a little bit later. How you get coerced into it initially, and how you get caught up in it, and you can't really escape. So it's very similar. Seems like it's been a lot more sophisticated now than it used to be because we talked about monitoring and surveillance of activities. They mm-hmm. literally, the traffickers literally, surveil these you know, trafficked persons all the time. Meaning Mm -hmm. if you're standing on the street, they're watching. If you're, you know, with a person that pays for your services, they're watching, Mm -hmm. but the surveillance. So there was a victim who came to the emergency department and she was a minor underage who was a victim of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And, she actually had a, um, what do you call it? A tracking device that was implanted in her skin. Now, mm. a lot of the times these victims, we have to, as nurses, especially forensic nurses, we have to be able to identify these victims. And we'll mm-hmm. talk about how we identify them in a little bit, or we can talk about it now. What do you think? Will you talk about it now? Yeah, we can get into it. There's certain tattooing. There's certain, um, you do certain like dollar signs or branding, basically. Barcodes. Uh, barcodes, branding on the, on the person as if you were branding cattle Mm -hmm. out in the field Mm -hmm. and it makes them the property of somebody. And they're very obvious. They're on their face. Mm -hmm. They're on their chest. They're in places where people can see them. Mm -hmm. So it's basically making them their property Mm -hmm. and showing everybody that that's their property. Mm -hmm. And they, of course they follow them. And, but there was one patient who actually had a tracking device implanted under her skin. Now she was able to speak to the, the provider separately, you know, privately. When I say privately, these, what happens with these mostly women, sometimes it's men. uh, What happens a lot of the time is they can't talk to anybody in the hospital. They come to the emergency department. They don't come because they're being trafficked. They come because they have a sexually transmitted disease. They have a urinary tract infection. They come for a treatment or they have injuries. They come for the treatment of something else. And those traffickers hover over them. They do not leave their side. They won't let the 
victim talk to the nurse, the doctor, nobody. So okay. this one had an opportunity somehow to talk to the provider and let him know. So she was um, kept confidential and they actually performed a procedure of surgery. They where they removed the tracking device from her that was implanted in her arm. Mm, they were wow. actually tracking where she was. So she got a second chance, but I don't know how often that happens. I just know that it does happen. Right. And just to add on to what Nurse Ellie was saying, like, yeah, they come in branded a lot of the times, but those behaviors that she just talked about are very um, telltale signs that somebody's being trafficked. If there's somebody that's standing over them is not allowing them to speak um, or is answering for them, these are telltale signs. If they don't have access to their money or they don't have control of their money, all those types of things are um, a clue that somebody's being trafficked. A lot of the time, when I first started in forensic nursing and was working with these victims slash patients, I thought that they would be real scared. The trafficked persons, the victims would act scared or maybe like they were being held against their will. That's not the case most of the time. No, nope. It does happen sometimes. A lot of the time what's happened is they've been brainwashed They've been terrorized. They've been uh, physically abused, emotionally and mentally abused, to the point and to the point where they they it, it's they take on a survival role. I guess is the way you would put it. They go into survival mode, so they're kind of tough. They don't want to answer questions. Like basically, they act as if they want to be with that person, but you can see mm-hmm. that um, that may that may not be the case, or it may be the case. And a lot of the time, they're just scared shitless. Mm-hmm. that something's going to happen to them if they say something and they're drugged, right? They're drugged, heavily drugged. Right. And you know, a lot of times these victims are scared because they might've been forced to, or be forced to live in subpar conditions. Their trafficker um, has control over a lot of that stuff. So if they go against them, then they feel like they're quote unquote asked out. Like what else do you have to do? Where can you go? Um, like Nurse Ellie was saying, some of these people are coming from other countries. They might not know what resources are available to them or where they can turn to for help. So they're really scared into just cooperating and continuing into this lifestyle. Yeah. And they're also threatened. Their yeah. lives are threatened and they've been uh, beaten to the point where they're, they've been near death before, I'm sure, a lot of them. And again, the, the, the forced ingestion of different illegal, illicit, whatever you want to call it, drugs, Mm -hmm. alcohol, Mm -hmm. Uh, again, not being allowed to talk to anyone, anyone alone or without supervision. Right. And a lot of times they're taken out of their area of comfort. So, do you know, come from different states to our area. So a lot of times they're moved around so that they are not aware of their surroundings. A hundred percent. And that's, that's a really good point that you have. They don't feel comfortable. They don't know anyone. They're very isolated and they've been coached. They've Mm -hmm. been told exactly what they're supposed to say. If a police officer or a emergency personnel or anyone in a position of authority, ask them questions, right? They have candid responses to throw you off track. Exactly. It's really easy to just say, okay, if that's what she wants or he wants, then we'll just let him do what they want. But that's not the right approach to take because a lot of these, like we said before, these are minors. These are somebody's son, somebody's daughter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, men and boys, you know, we talk, again, we mostly talk about women because mostly the victims are women or young girls. And just a little bit of information for y'all. According to the National Human Trafficking Hotline data report of 2021, of the sex trafficking situations that were analyzed, 84% involved females, 8% involved males, and the rest were those who had other gender identities. The mm-hmm. LGBTQ boys and young men are seen as particularly vulnerable to trafficking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. Um, and all commercial sex involving a minor is legally considered human trafficking. Um, commercial sex involving an adult is human trafficking if the person providing commercial sex is doing so against his or her will. And that's usually as a result of forced fraud or coercion. So, And that's the key against their will, because there are people out there that are actually doing this because they want to. And right. um, unfortunately, people get caught up in situations that are not society's norms. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, again, we talked about ACEs or adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. on previous episodes because they've been a victim of those adverse childhood experiences. So they're more prone to find themselves in these positions. Right. And they're all unique. Every tracking trafficking situation is unique. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, there may be, you know, um, like identification as a trafficking victim or survivor, you know, happens along a continuum. Some people don't consider maybe they've been in that situation. They don't feel they were trafficked. They felt that they chose to be in that position. Right. Some may say after the fact, you know what, I didn't realize what was going on and I'm a survivor. So it's just all a perspective. Um, but there's a lot of um, manipulation that comes from the traffickers. Right. Exactly. And so just some examples of different types of sex trafficking. So there's Romeo pimps or what we call boyfriending. This would be when two people meet at a party. Let's say one of them's already in a relationship. They start following each other on social media. One of them posts on social media about the breakup and then the other one starts to slide in. They become a very good listener, very supportive. They shower them with gifts. The other believes that they're deeply in love and that they found their person because no one's ever treated like them like this before. Then one night they decide to go to a party together and the one that's showering the other with gifts tells the other they need to be nice to their friends in order to earn more gifts and jewelry however they keep the money and jewelry that the other one earns and they tell them it's in order for them to save to buy a house or a car or whatever it may be so sometimes this will start as just having like personal conversations and it may escalate to sexual conversations and then to sexual favors and then before the person knows it they're being trafficked out and the person that put them in this situation may start um, being physically violent with them just to keep them in line and to to show them how much they need them to do this and how serious the situation is. They may also threaten that they'll stop loving them or that they'll leave them if they don't continue doing what they're doing. And so the person feels trapped and they just continue to stay in the situation. And to a lot of people that are listening, they might just say, well, why doesn't the person just leave? Why don't they just get out of this situation? It's not that easy for everybody, especially when you come from a place where you have some aces, maybe you haven't been loved. Nobody's ever given you this kind of attention. Sometimes the attention um, and the feeling of being loved means more than the acts you're committing. Like it, it feels so good to be loved, to have this attention that you're willing to compromise your safety for that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So there's also familial trafficking. And let's just say that a single mom, um, she's a survivor of rape and abuse. She's been prostituting for many years. She may live in a community where there are a few options for young people um, as far as support goes. Um, they may be struggling, living paycheck to paycheck. She's struggling to support her kids. Men start expressing interest in one of her kids or some of her kids. And she realizes, you know, this could be a money maker for me. And she tells the children, you know, it's time for you to start contributing to the household as well and takes them out to the street. A lot of times children really love their parents. They don't want to disappoint. They realize that there's no other means of support. They know that they're living in poverty. Um, so they comply. Yeah. And how to get out of it is, is hard. Yeah. Sometimes maybe there might be somebody in the community, a coach, a teacher, a neighbor that notices, for instance, if it's a child, they're tired all the time. They seem super scared. Mm -hmm. They may ask if they need support. And then at that point, there are times when that child may confide in that person. And then um, social work and law enforcement gets involved. Us, we get involved. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, they take that child into protective custody. And it's really important for the listeners to keep this in the back of their mind usually someone will only come to somebody one time mm -hmm. because of their fear and not even sure that it's wrong and one time. So if somebody comes to you and alleges this type of activity is going on, definitely don't, you know, don't turn and look the other way. Definitely be proactive, ask some questions, try to get some help for that person. Right. And, and, you know, it's kind of child trafficking. So we're talking about minors and adults. And with child trafficking, again, they don't need force, fear, coercion, or anything. A lot of the time in that recruitment or grooming stage, like you had talked about meeting someone at a party and kind of grooming them into the relationship. With children who are trafficked, sex, you know, tra sex trafficked, the uh, parent usually has abused that child already themselves. Mm -hmm. Let's just give an example. Maybe dad has sexually abused daughter. I'm just giving an example. 
And then they start offering the child to others for sexual gratification. And he, they, that parent gets money in exchange for access to their children. Mm-hmm. And these kids, it's really hard when it comes to kids that have been raised this way and are young because they've been taught that, that that's normal. For, right. They don't know that in other families they don't do that. Right. And they tell them, not don't tell anybody or you're going to be hurt or your family's going to be hurt mm-hmm. and or they're going to be killed. And that leaves them in fear. So even though we say it could be without you know, fear or coercion, a lot of the time there is fear and mm-hmm. coercion. So co- co- coercion is control. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not legally required to be considered trafficking if the victim's a minor. And a lot of the times it's really hard for these kids. Again, they might go to somebody that they trust, a teacher right. or a, you know, somebody in the church, a coach, a family member, a friend, they may, mm-hmm. but again, they might not know what's wrong and they might be super scared. So they don't want to do anything. So what happens is what we see as forensic nurses a child will come in for some type of some type of exam. They come to the emergency department. So maybe they have a urinary tract infection or there's something that's significant enough that the parent's actually going to bring the child into the emergency department, even though they know that that child has been trafficked. And the doctor or the nurse, us, may see signs of sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. And that's when we intervene. Again, Law enforcement and um, child protective services are notified. We do our forensic medical exams, collect all of our evidence that we possibly can, which includes our um, DNA samples, collection of clothing, uh, forensic photography, and um, interviewing. Yeah. And also just to add on with child sex trafficking, a lot of times there's these rings like child trafficking rings. And so a parent will abuse their child and then they'll do that. Yeah. In exchange for money, but also in exchange for access to other children. So children will be passed throughout these rings from adult to adult. And that also can be used as payment, unfortunately. Unfortunately, you know, one time there was a patient that came in And she was three years old and it was a situation, a divorce situation. Mm -hmm. So sometimes mom had custody and sometimes dad had custody. They shared custody. Mm -hmm. And the mother was a little bit suspicious that something might be going on Mm -hmm. because of the way her child was acting. There are signs when it's a very young child in particular, things that they may do that they didn't do previously. They may uh, act out a little bit. They may they feel very scared or shy. They might start, you know, when they were already potty trained, they might start peeing their pants, peeing their bed, defecating in their underwear, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Changed so these are behaviors. Fine. Strange behaviors or even touching themselves in, in certain ways in their, their genital area. So this one mother thought, well, maybe because there were some of these changes that she noticed in her three-year-old daughter. And we performed a, a, a exam on her, a uh, a child's sexual assault exam on her. And we, as we've spoken to before, part of our exam includes forensic photography. So that means forensic photography of any injuries as well as the um, genitalia and anything that may be relevant to mm-hmm. obtaining evidence of whether or not there was or was not a sexual assault. So as soon as the, um, camera came out to take pictures of the three-year-old she started posing in sexual positions Mm. so right there uh, that tells you that something's Mm -hmm. going on yeah what three-year-old starts to pose in sexual positions so this father was apparently uh trafficking her his daughter in a different way but selling child pornography to others (gasps) so that's just something else that can happen as well. So it's something people need to keep be aware of if a a child or even a young teen tween that's hypersexual and mm-hmm. you know you want to kind of keep in your mind that is something going on mm-hmm. because again we have to remember they're groomed into these positions, right? Mm-hmm. And they're victims of crimes and they're kids and they don't know any different. If you don't see anything different in another home, you don't know maybe that's going on in everyone's home. You just don't know. And right. uh they, because again, they're taught it's normal. Um, and don't tell anyone again, or you're going to be hurt. You're going to be killed. Your mom will be killed. Your dad will be killed. So that's again, when it's really important for, um, you know, when, when we do as forensic nurses come mm-hmm. across a potential, uh, victim that we 
are aware of the signs and we don't just turn our back. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's heartbreaking. It was online. Okay. Let's just step into the whole world of online. Oh God. This online is a blessing and a curse. Um, yeah, you know what? It makes it so easy, but I'm starting to feel like it's more of a curse than anything. And that's a whole nother topic, but Mm -hmm. I feel sorry for kids growing up in this day and age. And I feel sorry for their parents. Yeah. Yeah. This it's horrible. Um, you think of somebody, we talked about bullying, right? You know, with, we had one young 12 year old girl that was talking about her feeling, you know, how she felt being bullied. Um, the you start it can start with bullying or you know that makes a you know a teen or a tween or a young kid feel lonely mm-hmm. and or you, even if they don't have bullying they may you're just going through the emotions and trying to fit in and with all the social media influence they feel insecure mm-hmm. that, you know maybe the teen dreams of a modeling career and she posts a bunch of pictures of herself or something you know mm-hmm. then somebody contacts her and I've seen this on some of the shows that we watch, like real yeah. crime shows. <laughs> yep. She's contacted by, right? Because we love those because we yep. live and breathe what we do. Mm-hmm. She's contacted by somebody who says they're a modeling agent or, you know, an agent for acting. They um, they bring them to their studio. They might even buy them a plane ticket, send them a limo, have them come to some location, whether their studio, their home, whatever it is. Um, and when they arrive, he t- may take he or she may take them out, be super nice to them kind of show them the life of Riley, like what mm-hmm. things could be. And, uh, and then just send, and then that's like the start and then, Oh, but you have to do this. And then they send her out to go prostate. You have to meet with my friend. Mm-hmm. You have to do whatever he says. Yep. It just and snowballs. It snowballs from there. It's, it's horrible. And that's something that actually tends to happen a lot. Like, especially if you think about, um, some of the older sex trafficking cases, um, a lot of times these teens and tweens are approached in mall settings. You know, they're, they're in their group of friends, they're walking around, there's no parent in sight and they're approached by this predator and, you know, they're coerced into these things. You know, this online, I'm going to take a side note on this online stuff. So Mm -hmm. my children are adults and when my son, who's now 27, was in his first year of high school. Facebook was new. The cell phones were new. We didn't have all those. They weren't so prevalent back then. Now everyone has a cell phone. Everyone has social media. But mm-hmm. it was fairly new. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to have a Facebook account. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, you can have one only if I am your friend on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You, I can go on at any time and look at have all your, your passcode, everything, and look at everything you do. And you add me as a friend. Okay, that was the the deal. And I did. I followed through. Parents, follow through. Pay attention to what your kids are doing on social media. So all these years ago, I looked and I saw this beautiful woman that was um, corresponding with and was friends with all, he was on the football team, all the little football players that are in, what, ninth grade? Weird. Ninth, tenth grade. Yeah. And talking to him. And I asked my son, who is that? And he's like, oh, that's this, this like girl that like, you know, she's just friends with all of us. How do you know her? Well, we all know her. Okay. So I I know we didn't know her. I looked at the pictures. I said, look at these pictures, you know, like the one of them, the picture, she has brown eyes when she has green eyes. It was obviously (laughs) just a bunch of freaking fake catfishing. Yeah. Yeah, Catfishing. And I'm like, okay, come on. But they're young boys. Mm -hmm. But I looked at the, the comments. She was asking them, oh, what time is your football practice over? Where do you go to school? What time's it over? What time does it start? Do you walk home? Do your parents do you walk home? Yep. 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 So anyway, so I immediately disbanded my son from social media because he didn't follow the rules. And I called the school and I called the police and nobody seemed to care until it was found out that was actually a male child predator. He was not a female. <gasps> it was actually a male. And was trying to um, contact, like, you know, um, I guess there was something more <laughs> legally with it. So all the kids were called in to the, you know, to the office and law enforcement talked to them. So anyway, so this is what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, it, it could be very, you know, somebody that's just you pick up in a mall and you, you know, the things that we we're talking about. But when you're talking to the online stuff, mm-hmm. it could be um, 
you know, it could be something like that. And young boys that, you know, let's face it, they got hormones raging and mm-hmm. this hot chick is like talking to them and they feel like they're the cat's meow and they're going to talk to her. Right. Oh, oh my that God. could have ended up really bad. Had he not got caught, that situation could have ended up in a, it could have ended up very, very, very poorly for, you know, more than one kid. And who knows how many were actual true victims in person. Exactly. And good for you for being on top of that. Cause apparently, obviously nobody else's parent was no, I told him. I told him they didn't care. They didn't <laughs> care. I'm like, I care. Oh my they're, god, they're a bunch of crap. You know, this is this is your kids. You got to pay attention to their social media. If I can say anything to any parent out there, pay attention to their social media and what they're doing. And you know, there's no need to reach out to someone on TikTok and tell them they have pretty eyes or they're handsome or they're hot. Just watch it and leave it alone. Don't yeah. interact. I can remember back when I was younger that that was back in like the AIM AOL days when we would all be in like chat rooms and stuff. And my parents didn't really monitor what I was doing. Who knows who I was talking to? You know, I was talking to all kinds of people. Like, luckily, I never met up with anybody. I was just like talking online. But still, like, you never know who you're talking to out there. Because back in those days, there was no video chat, no video cameras. You're just talking you know like you could, I could have easily met up with somebody luckily I was smarter than to meet up with somebody but you never <laughs> well, know <laughs> you never know but so I'm older than you obviously mm-hmm. so what we used to do is we had these party lines right we oh the, the chat number. lines no party lines you'd yell your phone number you know whatever it is and then or meet me at the mall at the fountain here <laughs> I'll be wearing the orange dress and then oh you go to God. the mall and yeah, it's a bunch of people yelling and screaming numbers and where they're going to be. And then you go there and you meet them. Oh my gosh. So unsafe. <laughs> so unsafe. So unsafe. And, and keep in mind that we didn't have phones back then. Right? Yeah, yeah. We did not have phones back then. And um, I actually found myself in a very, um, a very scary situation at a very young age. You know, mm. I was um, basically kidnapped in an attempt rape, which I got out of which we'll talk about when we talk about like survival sex and all that. You know, mm-hmm, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll share a little bit um, a, about what happened to me to show how easily it can happen. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's survival sex, right? Yeah. I don't know if you yep. want to talk about that. Ree? So by definition, survival sex is a form of prostitution engaged in by a person because of their extreme need. So it could be someone who's homeless or disadvantaged in some kind of way. Um, They're trading sex for food, a place to sleep, shelter, or other basic needs, or even for drugs. So an example of this is, let's just say there's a teen who's arguing with their parents at home, you know, typical teenager. Um, They decide to run away from home. They're camping out at bus stations. They meet up with other runaways, and this teen is really apprehensive about staying on the street. So these other teens tell them, hey, I know somewhere where you can stay. So for whatever reason, maybe for drugs, alcohol, shelter, whatever it may be, the teen's interest is piqued. They go to the house. The homeowner may or may not be upfront about what the expectation is. If they are, they may tell them, look, you know, you can stay here. We'll provide you with whatever you need as long as you provide us, being the homeowner, maybe their friends even included, with sex. That teen may feel like they have no other options or they may just want a sense of community. And so for those reasons, they comply and they stay. And now they're caught up in this um, survival sex situation. And I happen to live in an area that is a very, very unusually high level of um, human trafficking. Mm -hmm. Very high. And so I, I see it sometimes just walking down the street, forget my job. You know, sometimes I see it. yeah. Uh, walking down the street, but mine was super simple, like how easy it can happen. So when I was in college and I went to a club and I think I was probably, uh, you know, okay, I had a fake ID and I liked to dance. So I go out dancing. I was maybe 19 years old and there were no cell phones back in the day. And there was this one guy that was out of the club frequently and he was good looking and he was on the baseball team at the college I went to, a university. Mm-hmm. So I had seen him before and I was dancing with my friends and uh, they wanted to leave and they picked me up, happened to have uh, picked me up and brought me there. And I was ha- dancing with him at the time. And he's, and I said, Oh, I don't want to go yet. They're like, well, we have to go. He, he, he said, I'll take you home. Just mm-hmm. stay for a while. I'll take you home when the club closes. Mm-hmm. And I'm stupid and young and had a couple drinks under age. And I say, okay. And as soon as they leave, he's like, he says, we're leaving. Mm-hmm. And so I, thought, okay, he's going to take me home. But I said, I thought we were staying. I thought we were going to dance. And 
no, we're leaving. And so he continued to take me in his car so far away in some remote area. I swear Mm. there were dirt roads and I was scared shitless. Like, where are we going? It wasn't anywhere in the direction of where I lived. I know that. Mm -hmm. And, um, he just kept telling me to shut up just to shut up. Mm -mm. And so I'm kind of stuck. Yeah. You're already in the car. You've already left with him. There's no cell phones back then. Mm-hmm. Nothing. There weren't even pagers that I knew of. Yeah. There was nothing. So I was kind of stuck. And so we went to a house. I don't know where we were. It was so far away. And he was trying to force sex on me. I know he ripped my... Back there, we wore nylons and high pumps and short skirts. So mm-hmm. I had all the above, okay? You know, and uh, and I thought, well, how do I get out of this? So I went into the bathroom and mm-hmm. there was a bathtub, you know, above the bathtub, bathtub shower combo. There's a window up really high. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get out of the window in my, you know, oh high my heels and my ripped nylons and my short skirt. And I don't even know where I am. It was super dark. No streetlights. Yeah. And, um. And so somebody, by the grace of God, somebody heard me. Oh and anyway, so I never got raped. Not anything happened, but I'm just showing, saying how easily. It could have been, yeah. It could have been. And I think this is a guy that's on the baseball team. And unfortunately, when I told my parents what happened, I didn't have the kind of parents that were proactive. They basically said, go to bed. So, oh you know, and God. that was yeah. it. But it's just like, it could happen to anybody. And I... You know, I did a, stu- a stupid thing, but the problem is, is that everybody does a stupid thing. Everybody, they trust, they have a feeling, they trust for whatever reason. And yeah. they, you think a baseball player at the university and all this stuff. And did I ever report it to the police? No, I never reported it to the police. Cause as we talked about, these crimes are very underreported. Right. Cause you feel responsible. Like I did something wrong. I should. Yeah. And you're embarrassed. Absolutely. And you just keep going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, um, Especially when you're out and with your friends and having drinks. I think nowadays, especially, it's important to stay in a group. Don't separate from your friends. Um, Leave with who you came with. If you came with your group of girls, you leave with your group of girls. Like, you just have to be really proactive these days. And you have to be very careful about what you put in your mouth, too, because there's a lot of, like, like, uh, tainting of drinks. So when we used to be able to take our drinks and drink them, it's no longer like that. You put Mm -hmm. your, you see them make a drink. Even bartenders, Mm -hmm. you know, are involved in some of this stuff. I've seen it. I won't get into details, but they are, um, you know, with roofies or whatever Mm -hmm. date rape drugs. And we see so many of those cases Mm -hmm. of those victims of sexual assault that are what we call LOA or loss of awareness protocol. They don't remember anything. They went to a bar, they had one drink. That's Mm -hmm. the last thing they remember. And they woke up you know, however, wherever they were with no clothes on and mm-hmm. they've been, you know, beaten, sexually assaulted. It happens every flip. Oh, day. yeah. Uh, you, way yeah. more than you guys could imagine. Like, I just, my last case that I did was an LOA. I mean, they happen so frequently, you guys. Like, be aware. I mean, and it's hard. You shouldn't have to keep your guard up when you're just going out with, to have a good time with your friends. You shouldn't have to, but you have to. It's just the day and age that we live in. Yeah, no, for sure. So, and there's just, again, it's just not the same, even, I mean, you can see that even when I was younger, there were still a lot of things you had to be careful about, Mm -hmm. but, uh, it's, it's just with the internet and just how things are now, it's just far more risky to be out there. There's also exploitation of addiction. So let's just say somebody gets a drug charge. They're leaving court. They meet somebody outside They're engaging in conversation with this person, and this person just happens to be a drug trafficker. This trafficker finds out that the person had gone to court for their addiction. They offer them drugs and start to slowly feed into their addiction. And soon, in order to access drugs, the trafficker tells them that they have to engage in sexual acts for money. Then as soon as this person decides that they want to get clean and leave this life of whether it be drugs, prostitution, stripping, porn, it doesn't necessarily have to only be about drugs. As soon as they decide that this is a life they want to leave behind, the trafficker builds their dependency and warns that they'll report them to their probation officer, they'll report them to the police, they may threaten their family, whatever it may be to keep them coming back. Other types of exploitation can be of disabilities. So Let's say there's a young adult with some kind of disability. They may have limited family support. They may live in a group living facility. 
once they get to this group living facility, they might be told that having sex with strangers is part of what they're expected to do in this household, and they have to do that in order to earn their meals and their rent. And so somebody that may be developmentally delayed or may have some kind of disability may not completely understand that that's not a normal act, and they may just comply. Another example could be with gangs. You know, gangs are a huge supplier of sex trafficking. An example could be a young woman who grows up in an area of low socioeconomic status. She might not have family and friends support, so she joins a gang, you know, just for that sense of belonging. There may not be many options available or resources available to her, so a gang seems like a viable option. But in order to join the gang, she's told that she has to engage in prostitution and all proceeds have to go to the gang. You know, they may have a drug debt or they may owe a rival gang, you you know, who knows? And as most people may or may not know, you know, getting out of gangs is not just an, hey, I want out and you're out. You know, they're going to threaten your family. They're going to threaten your friends. They may threaten you, your children. A lot of people are scared into staying in. And then lastly, there's what's called CEO pimping. So let's just say a young woman or man grows up in foster care. They age out. They don't have anywhere else to live. No real guidance for their future. Maybe they meet someone at their job that tells them that they have connections in the entertainment industry and all you got to do is come dance at this strip club. You can meet producers. You might be an assistant. You know, you might become famous. After a few weeks of dancing, They tell them the reason that they're not getting noticed, you know, they're not becoming a superstar is because they're not performing sex acts in the club's back rooms like some of the other workers are. When this person decides not to comply, um, they may threaten to fire them, to blackball them from any other clubs or music venues, you know, to sever any connections they may have made from already dancing in the club. They may once again threaten their family, their friends, their children, whatever they've got to do to keep this person in the cycle. So that person may stay until they're able to save enough money to quit and go to college, you know, to support themselves, whatever it may be. So we really just wanted to give y'all as many examples as we can of the multiple ways that people can get pulled into this trafficking world. Let's, you, you want to step into talking about risk factors for being sexually trafficked? Um, so there are a lot of risk factors and consequences. Um, a lot of them are associated with child abuse, um, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, sexual violence, youth violence, all of these things tie in together because when you're victimized at a younger age, you're more likely to be victimized um, throughout life. Aces. Mm -hmm. Yep. Those are the aces. Um, So perps of human trafficking often target people who have all of those risk factors, low socioeconomic status, poor, vulnerable, living in unsafe situations, all those types of things. Um, Many victims are women and girls, even though, like we said, men and boys are also impacted and we're seeing them at higher and higher rates these days. Um, All races are affected, all ethnicities, sexual orientations, genders, citizens, non-citizens, income levels. It's literally everybody, you guys. There's no hiding from this. Um, Nope. Victims are trapped and controlled through assault, threats, false promises, perceived sense of protection, isolation, shaming, and debt. Debt is a huge one, especially when it comes to immigrants. Um, Mm -hmm. They're they're promised a dream and then they're sold a life of sex trafficking. Um, Victims do not have to be physically transported between locations to be victimized. I did mention earlier that we do have a lot of victims that are um, taken away from their home and, you know, they're put in these uh, more so, not even more rural areas, but just far away from home. Um, But that's not necessary. Um, It doesn't always happen that way. Um, That's also an expensive thing to do to move people across the country into different areas. So it doesn't always happen, but it's definitely common. It is. And to move from one place to another, the trafficker takes their traffickies or Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. Again, I used to say the pimp takes their prostitutes, but it's not, and and I'm going to go on a tangent again. It's not really fair to say that because when I worked undercover as a prostitute and we were on what we call pimp task force, Mm -hmm. there were times we were trying to catch what we call Johns, those that are picking up the prostitutes for offering, you know, some type of money or 
once I got offered a Happy Meal for sex. Oh my God. Oh my down. God. I turned down. I'm worth more than that. <laughs> I took it personal. I took it personal. Sorry, I did. I just did. Happy Meal. Oh my God. So, um, but we also had, uh, we also had task force where we were prostitutes. Let me explain a little bit difference. When you're trying to catch somebody who's a John or somebody who's trying to pay you or give you something for sex, it's, you know, someone driving down the street, you, you can't have what they call entrapment. So you're, you're just kind of dressed in regular clothes that anyone wear, jeans, t-shirt, whatever. But when you're trying to catch the felons, the pimps, which are the traffickers, they call in these day and age, um, you're dressed in the as you would picture it in the movies, the big hair and the jewelry and the short skirts and the high heels is very dangerous because they're all felons, all mm-hmm. of them. However, I did meet people who were there by their own free will. They weren't necessarily always being trafficked. I can remember in particular one woman who had a child, um, she was very young, a young mother who a child that was um, with physical disabilities that were so severe she needed 24-hour care from a nurse and she was in school in college, but she couldn't afford everything, you know, trying to better her life, couldn't afford mm-hmm. everything without selling herself. So that was her choice. Yeah. We didn't have a pimp, but what happens is the pimp will kidnap you, which is the trafficker, and they will kidnap you and they will force you into that life. And that's what we're seeing more of now. It's right. less of a choice now. It might be a choice initially, but then it becomes not a choice any, anymore. And, you know, the thing is, um, we talked about the risk factors, but how do we prevent this from happening? We always want to put a Band-Aid on something, right? Right. How do we be more proactive? Let's prevent instead of react, right? Yeah. Uh, and sex trafficking is preventable to an extent. Mm-hmm. And efforts have focused on, in, and I think they should continue to focus on increasing community awareness of human trafficking and then addressing any exploitation after it occurs. So we're trying to make you all aware that this is not something in the movies. This is something that exists in your front yard and your, not just your backyard, but your Mm. front yard. It's everywhere. So it starts at home. I believe everything starts at home. Mm -hmm. And so how you can prevent your child of being trafficked is encourage healthy behaviors and relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, We can, as a community, foster safe homes, safe neighborhoods, Identify and address vulnerabilities during healthcare visits. So if you're a medical professional, there's there's things that you can talk to about your patients, kind of find out where they're at, mm-hmm. what they're thinking, separate those young tweens, teens from their parents. If you're doing an exam, um, try to get them alone, talk to them, find out what's going on. Um, yeah. And, uh, and with that, because I'm a peds nurse, though, these are questions that come up on our admit um, paperwork. But I just want to reiterate, make sure you actually separate your patient from their parents when you're asking these questions. Because a lot of times I've seen nurses not do that and they'll just ask in front of the parent, whereas the child may or may not feel comfortable being honest with you in that situation. So just make sure that you remove that parent from the room and so that you can accurately question your patient. If somebody tells you... if. If you want to have somebody disclose something to it, you're not going to talk about it in front of anybody else, especially the person that could be the perpetrator suspect. Right. If you want to talk to a, let's just say you're a teacher. Mm -hmm. If you want to talk to one of your students about something going on, talk to them alone. Mm -hmm. Don't talk to them in front of a parent. Don't talk to them in front of another kid because Mm -hmm. they might be embarrassed, scared. And the same thing if you're a provider, if you're a nurse, if you're a medical doctor, whoever you are, um, for your physical exam, and I think they pretty much standardly do this, mm-hmm. which I know for a fact it wasn't done the other day on somebody I know whose 12-year-old was taken in for their physical exam, mm. their annual, the child was not separated or tween, whatever you want to call them, from the parent, which they should be. Yeah. You know, yep. so uh, again, they're not going to say anything in front of that person and they don't know how that child is at home versus how they are there. So it's really important to be proactive. And again, I can't say it enough. Never turn your head back on anybody that tries to talk to you, ask questions, make sure that they're safe and Mm -hmm. get the appropriate um, agencies involved, meaning law enforcement, Mm-hmm. who will automatically call Department of Child and Family Services, Child Protective Services, whatever it is in your area. Yep. So let's all do our part. You know, it's, it's important. This is something that's um, 
you know, prostitution has been around forever, but trafficking is taking it to the next level and it's becoming more and more prevalent. And I'm guarantee you it's in your back. It's in your, not just your backyard, but your front yard. Look around at any hotels, nice or cheesy, mm-hmm. whatever kind of hotels you have in your area. Just take a look around. Look who's, yeah. look who's hanging out. Cause I can tell you right now, I, I see what's hanging out in some of the hotels around where I live and, you know, and it doesn't matter if it's a nice hotel or what's considered maybe a dope motel. I mm-hmm. see the same people. Right. And also another time to be on the lookout is when there are big events happening. Say there's a Super Bowl or some kind of sporting event or some big concert, anywhere where there's a lot of money around sex trafficking is also prevalent yep. during They'll that bring- time. They'll bring the girls to that area and try to make lots of money from those people that are attending those events. Exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it's not, again, it's not just at the hotels or the street corners or you know, any of those things. We're, what you just talked about, Re, was about highfalutin, <laughs> highfalutin events. <laughs> <laughs> Top dollars, like the, yeah. the Super Bowl or... You know, you those know, kind of events. Concerts, con- anything. Con- convention. Yeah. And again, way back in the day, I can remember bus loads, not buses, vans full of people that would come into those bookshops that you talked about, little sex shops. Mm-hmm. And they had, they were dressed in business suits. They mm-hmm. had pads and they had pens or pencils and mm-hmm. they took notes. They're Ugh. professionals. Mm-hmm. Those people know how much money sex sells. There's so much money involved. And it mm-hmm. again, it's the oldest profession in the book. And it continues to be a profession, but it's not a chosen profession anymore. It is a profession that is forced upon many young women and young men. Yeah. And like Nurse Ellie said, you guys, pay attention. If you have kids, pay attention, be involved, know what they're doing online, know who they're talking to, because this is an ongoing problem and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you next week with another episode. Yeah, we look forward to it. Until then, stay safe.